You're listening to Meaningful, a podcast about people who give a damn and do something about it. My name is Sophia Bourne, and this season I'm sharing with you eight stories of inspiring young people who advance social change in their day-to-day lives. Hello, and welcome to episode four. So before I introduce you to my guest this week, I want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to all of you who have listened to Meaningful so far, and especially to those of you who have sent me the kindest messages of encouragement and appreciation. These make me so incredibly happy, and I'm just so grateful to have such an amazing audience. So thank you very, very much. This week, I'm taking you back to Rwanda. My guest is Dominique Wasaelonga, a social entrepreneur who at the age of 22 quit her job to found Imagine We, a social enterprise and publishing house that promotes literacy and reading culture in Rwanda. Just to give you a heads up, when I spoke to Dominique, she was working from her busy office in Kigali, so there may be some extra background noise during the episode. There are people who are able to walk by a slum and think nothing of it for the longest time, for years. And there are people who walk and the third time they just kind of can't anymore and they want to do something, you know. So I think I'm in the second category. You come home and and you see the the pain that is caused by literacy and and that is caused by ignorance or, or not knowing how to digest information. The pain that is caused by that, the the the, the insecurities and the the lack of chances or opportunities. You see stuff and you're like, this can't be happening anymore. And and, and and that's it, you know? You just start to scavenge within yourself and your resources that you have to change even the smallest part. It's really um, the most basic right because it's, it's like having eyes that are not seeing or it really lowers your options. So you can't know what's true and what's not true because you rely on mouth to ear information and you rely on so many other things that are so unstable to actually lead the important parts of your life. And that's why you find large communities in Africa are very superstitious and and they rely on a, a person who enriches himself or herself at the detriment of several communities and families. Um, you know, and, and, and if you open up someone's opportunity to learn and travel through the through books, then they have the second option. You know, they don't just have to listen to this other person or to rumors. So, you, you, you know, I think reading and literacy provides a strong option B. And if eventually that option becomes option A in your life. And, and when literacy becomes option A in your life, you've opened up so many doors. While Imagine We started out as an advocacy initiative to raise people's awareness of the benefits of reading, it soon expanded into something much larger, as Dominique realized that simply reading more was not the solution, and that the kinds of books that Rwandan children were reading also mattered. My passion was to make sure that books are distributed in schools, especially the schools that wouldn't have a chance to afford a fully equipped library, so we we ran rallies to actually help people to realize the importance of reading, the doors that it would open, the opportunities in in literacy, you know, because many parents we encountered didn't even see the importance of taking their kids to school. So we did a lot of advocacy in the beginning. From there, um, working with children, we had our own community library that we had set up and it was running every day. And we had about 
35 to 85 kids. But we started realizing that, hey, these guys don't want to read foreign books. You know, they don't relate to them because they're not culturally relevant. So then we decided, why don't we actually also address this problem and start making cultural books that kids can actually see themselves in and enjoy? We registered our publishing house. So then when we released our books, you know, we kind of took off from there and we see the opportunity in actually working with different organizations to, to release materials that children relate with. I wouldn't say that the focus is teaching kids the alphabet. You know, we are definitely further than that. I would say that it's teaching kids to see themselves in a bigger light, especially kids who wouldn't have the opportunity to go to private schools and stuff like that. We use a lot of foreign resources in our schools, and it's very important for us to start using our own resources that fit our own culture and environment for kids to grow better. Kids here know how to read, but they don't really see the point if all they're reading is really just forceful. So it's taking advantage of that first step that Rwanda has made through our education to build an, a world, a universe for kids where nothing is impossible. Building a world like that isn't easy, but increasing representation of African communities in literature is a pretty solid way to start. While attending a college prep school in the U.S., Dominique saw firsthand the detrimental effects that underrepresentation and misrepresentation of black communities in American media had on the lives of their children, and immediately saw parallels with her own country. Because of how, how many books and movies and things were available for people of a different skin color, you, you find that black children feel lesser than, you know? They would grow up without seeing a superhero that looked like them. They would grow up without seeing a princess that looked like them. So then they would think, okay, maybe I don't deserve to be a princess, or maybe I'm not good enough to be a superhero. Maybe I'm not good enough to do this and that, because all the books that are around them portray this other individual in another light. When they see themselves, they can actually aspire to be whatever they see in the books because those people look like them. So that's that's my fight for us to actually make sure that kids in Africa who live in huts or who live in, you know, the, the exact setting they are in can aspire to be much, much bigger than, than anything they could have imagined before. It is really important for children to see themselves, to allow themselves to dream big and to allow themselves to think outside of the box and to shift their mindsets, you know, to tell them, you know, you also can be a, a, a superhero. You also have the potential to be, to go on, on planet Mars or to the moon or whatever it is. They should see that there are other people like them, fictional or not, who are doing that. So we're basically creating fictional role models for African children. The novels out there about Africans or either like super political or research documents, they're not, you know, the Nicholas Sparks types of things or Narnia or Harry Potter. It's just why Africa is failing. And it's all very um, research based and it's very humiliating as well. I think at some point, you know, I just was like, that's not, that's not acceptable. That's not okay. 
the more people are told that they're, all they can be to the world is refugees and war terrorists or hungry people and sick people, then they believe that that's, what, that's the only thing they can be, you know? And 80% of books about Africa are written by foreigners who, unfortunately, use the information that they get from Africa for their own profits. And they go back and they, you know, raise funds in the name of Africa and they enrich themselves. Uh, I mean, being in this line of work, you do reach a point where you actually know that it's profitable for the West that Africa is in the state it's in. So my little contribution is is just to at least change the, the, the representation of our story. Dominique and her team at Imagine We established their publishing house in late 2015 and published their first book, The ABCs of Rwanda, in April last year. Since then, Imagine We have released three more children's books and are now preparing their first adult novel. They've already distributed over 5,000 copies. That's 5,000 copies in less than a year, all through personal connections and diaspora networks. In addition to the impact that Imagine We has on children in Rwanda and abroad, they are also supporting a growing network of local creatives including writers, illustrators, editors and printers who contribute to the publishing process. And while Imagine We is not profitable yet, they are well on track to become sustainable as of this year. The growth of Imagine We seems exhilarating to an outsider. But for Dominique, it was not always smooth sailing. After finishing her bachelor's in media studies at Jain University in India, Dominique returned to Rwanda and took up a job at a peace-building NGO. But she soon realized that the job was not quite what she was looking for. When I joined the organization I was working for, I had very high expectations of what they should do and what we would be doing. I thought we were actually going to address a lot of things, and I realized that we were not um, addressing things, and we were just sitting, and I had a lot of time on my hands, which was maybe why my mind uh, wandered a lot, and I was daydreaming a lot at work, and you know, it was not keeping me busy and I felt like it wasn't the best way to invest my time. Within a few months, I started, I was like, there's got to be a way out. And I've always been a saver, I guess. So when I felt like I had enough savings to at least last me for a few days outside of the office, then I decided, you know what, let's try this. That's very brave, isn't it? To leave your job straight out of college to start your own organization. I know, man. I I congratulate that lady who quit her job because I feel like today we have nothing in common, you know? You don't think you'd do it today? Uh, well, knowing... Knowing how it would turn out, I probably would, but no, probably not. I don't think I I still have that same courage to venture into something new and just kind of, maybe because also the responsibilities increased and you know that you have these different things that you have to, uh, to do with your life. I don't know. I think it was just one of those crazy moments of courage where nothing else mattered. And maybe if I have another thing that makes me equally passionate or more passionate then maybe I would have that same courage you know I, I guess I wouldn't advise that to anybody <laughs> um, I mean I would but I would say hey do your research you know don't be carried away by adrenaline but of course adrenaline can be also a good thing as it pushed Dominique to take that leap into the unknown with only a thousand dollars in savings she started setting up Imagine We 
and her efforts soon paid off, when in April 2015 she was awarded $25,000 by TIGO through its Digital Changemakers Challenge and in partnership with the Reach for Change initiative. That was a huge leap from the little things that we could do, right? But it was hard. It was hard being 22 and opening up an organization in a sector that nobody else seems to be caring about and without any resources to learn how does entrepreneurship work? How, what am I doing? You know, there was nobody to tell me like, this is what a good organization looks like. So it was, it was definitely hard. Um, and I guess what I could do was to, to surround myself with people who believed in what I was doing, which was not a lot of people because, again, it was a sector that nobody really was talking about. There was not a lot of momentum. In Rwanda, there's a lot of momentum in terms of, in terms of IT and in terms of going digital. And, you know, there was a lot of momentum in a lot of different things except what I was working on. So it, it did get a bit discouraging at times, but I think we, we kept going, you know. I got a good team that was equally passionate, and even when I was tired, they were able to remind me what, why we're doing what we're doing. So that was good. What do you think were the greatest learning points for you in those early months? I think maybe the first thing was that not everyone cares about what you're doing. I think most people have to realize, you know, you have a great idea and you think, oh, of course everybody else is going to love this idea. <laughs> Come on. But it's not true. Or they're not going to love your idea. They're probably going to think your idea sucks. So I think what I, would, what I learned and what I would do better is, you know, what resources, can I get from within myself and within my network that I can control or influence without going into this, the, you know, the cloud and, and, and expect strangers and people that I don't know to actually express this kind of passion. I think that was the greatest learning point to, to realize that people don't care. Um, it's a, gr a great idea, but they have other great ideas that they love, that they're passionate about, and don't get offended by that. Just find it in yourself um, to you know, find solutions within yourself before you actually meet that one person that is going to think, oh my God, this is this is what I've been looking for for the longest time. But do you think it's possible to convince the people who might not initially care about your great idea that it is indeed something they should care about? It, it gets easier when you have products, when you have things to show for yourself. But when it's still an idea, um, it's very hard, no matter how amazing the idea is, because it's not alive. People have families, they have, they have school fees to pay, they have rent, they have to buy groceries. It's hard to get them to invest in something that is still very cloudy, you know. And not even just for them, you know, um, even for yourself. When you develop something that is, is real, then you have a straight way to go and you have confidence to say no to the people you need to say no to and you say yes to the people you actually need to say yes to. So I think it's a win-win on both points. Today, if someone said, um, hey, we have $5,000 and we want to invest in, in you and we want maybe, let's say, 40% of your shares, I would say, what the heck? Why? <laughs> 
because I know where I'm going, right? But if the same people had approached me a few years earlier, you know, I wouldn't even know the worth of my company or my organization in the first place that I would make a lot of mistakes, you know? So it's a win-win in both in both parties. You you are more confident, you you know what you're talking about, you know how to manage your time, and you're just generally um, wiser and more mature in, in business when things are solid. In addition to convincing the skeptics about the value of Imagine We, Dominique also had to ignite the same passion she has for her organization in those she hired to work on her team. She now manages six full-time and three part-time staff, a sizable team by any measure. So I wanted to know what it's like to be someone's boss at 24. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's inspiring to know that there are people who believe in the vision that they would show up every day, you know. But it's also hard to to remember to be human and to struggle with your own struggles because life still happens, you know. You still go outside and, you know, you lose loved ones or you do, you know, things happen to you. And and I think um, leaders, it, it gets lonely at some point, especially when you put yourself on such a high standard that, People should learn from from your example. You are to be on time. You are to be this. You are to be that. What do you think makes a successful entrepreneur? From the outside, a successful entrepreneur is the entrepreneur that got to the point where they actually made money, right? But um, from from another point of view, I think personally, a successful entrepreneur or an entrepreneur that would earn my respect is someone who not only is trying to enrich themselves but also take the community with them and as they rise there's someone else who's rising not falling down and uh, as a beginner like me obviously um, being successful is is having the right amount of hope and courage you'll fall down several times and fail several times before you meet that one person that will make your product viable the, the person that you probably need for the the credibility but but if you fall and don't and don't get up one step before you meet the person a, a, an entrepreneur doesn't give up an entrepreneur always has a reason to wake up in the morning and, and has the consistency, even when times are hard. And an entrepreneur also knows how to rest, okay? That I had to learn the hard way. There's a huge balance between the venture becoming your source of dignity than your own self, you know? You're, an entrepreneur has to know, I am still whole, even without this. Because, you know, when you start a business, it becomes your baby, you know, and you get all this visibility from the media and, and you, you're like, I'm who I am because of this, but it's not true. And and it's so important to know how to draw the line, to know, you know, I'm still a, whole, a holistic person, even if this thing was not around. I respect entrepreneurs who um, have a healthy work-life balance and who still have the, 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 the zest of life who are like, you know, I'm happy. It's not going very well, but I'm still I'm still a human being and, and it's I'm okay. It's so hard to be in that point, in that place. Um, so what helps you to sustain the balance? Um, I, I, I really suck at it very, very much. <laughs> uh, very much um but i think now what helps me is to just know that the worst case scenario would be that i close 
doors and cry for a week and move on you know so when you know that the worst case scenario won't hurt you so much the the present failure doesn't um doesn't seem so huge what would you say makes your life meaningful humanity i think i would say just knowing that there's so much good that can be done and i am capable of doing good i think that makes my life worthwhile like if you see the opportunity the, the the amount of good that you can do and that is needed then every day you actually wake up knowing that you can do good and and the, i like that i really like that my my i think my personal purpose in life is to wherever i am you know from a personal perspective from a business perspective from a human perspective I think I'll, I I am big 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 on dignity and restoring dignity so be it with my friend who just got cheated on or whatever <laughs> or the child next door who has eaten in days or feels icky because they can't afford water to to shower or as an organization restoring on a very large scale the dignity of Africa through representation in books you know wherever it is I think my my purpose is to restore dignity in people. Thank you for listening to Meaningful and thanks to Dominique for taking the time to chat with me about her work. You can learn more about Dominique and Imagine We in the show notes on my website at sofiadoeswords.com/meaningful. And if you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and review Meaningful on your favorite podcast app and don't forget to subscribe to get all the future episodes straight to your device. Next week I'm talking to a real multi-potentialite of social impact work. Curious? Make sure to tune in.